What up guys? All right, today my girl, Terry Cole, she is the boundary boss, licensed therapist, and the best-selling author on a mission to help women break the cycle once and for all by setting boundaries that empower and create healthy relationships. Now today, guys, we go deep and discuss the three manipulation tactics that are being used against you and how to break away from them. We also talk about how to stop finally projecting your good intentions and kindness onto people and actually pay attention to their actions and not their words. And we also talk about becoming a red flag conductor, if you will. If your current situation has you walking on eggshells, then Terry wants you to do this immediately. If this episode brings you value and you enjoyed listening to it, please do go and follow and share this episode. Let your homies know it exists. Honestly, guys, I cannot create global impact without you. And so if you want to be part of this movement where we can impact women together, please, please share this episode, leave a review. Okay, and now without further ado, let's dive in with my girl, Terry Cole, the Boundary Boss. When they can make you doubt yourself, doubt your reality, you are so much more malleable and controllable within the relationship. So this is why it's a clever manipulation technique. Mm. People would dismiss us, people would disrespect us, and it's said and done in ways that maybe we don't actually realize we're being manipulated. Mm -hmm. And you talk about the most common manipulation tactics that other people can use on us. And so today I wanna dive deep on what the things that people say and then how do we respond when they're said to us. So the one that I want to start with that you say is faux concern. Mm. So talk to me about faux concern and why this is such a powerful manipulation tactic and how we can recognize it. So fake concern or faux concern is used when, let's just say, you're in a situation and maybe you're complaining to your partner or even a friend or a sibling about something that they've done. And they go, babe, I'm, I'm really worried about you. I wasn't going to say anything. But Bob told me he's worried about you too. I feel like you're something's going on with you. Are you okay? So I want us to see clearly what is happening there, which is that they are distracting you from what your, your complaint, your issue, maybe there was a violation that they did to you. And now they're using fake concern to basically tell you, not only did they think something's wrong with you, they also, now they brought in Bob. Bob also, I wasn't going to say anything, but Bob also is concerned about you. So this is how it's manipulation and how you can spot it is when you start with a complaint or you start with you're making a request that they stop doing something or that you don't like that they did something and they move into this, I think you're crazy type of thing. I'm concerned about your mental wellness basically is what is going on. So what do you do if you're in that situation? Right? How That's, do you decipher that it's faux versus actually real? Well, if you're not making a complaint to them about something, if you're not bringing up a concern and your partner out of nowhere says, babe, you seem exhausted. I'm concerned about you. That's probably legit, right? It's as a reaction or in response to you saying something to them that they don't like, you saying something to them that they want to divert attention away from, and they want to now 
they're putting the attention on you. I'm worried about you. So, and they do it in a way because it's hard when you just look at it on the surface, it's hard to be mad that someone is worried about you. So this is why it's a clever manipulation technique, Mm. right? Because if you say something, the person could say, oh, now I'm not allowed to be worried about you. The thing is, (laughs) they're not worried about you. They are manipulating you, which is different. So that's how you can make the distinction Mm. is if they're basically derailing the conversation that you started to them being worried about you. So that, that's how you can sort of see it. Now, what do we do? Well, part of it is you can say, hey, I appreciate your concern. And I would like to, before we get into that, go back to the origin of this conversation where I was making a simple request that you not make plans with other people without talking to me first, because now we're double committed on Wednesday. That's so freaking powerful. Okay, in those situations, like let's say that's a partner, you can do something like that. What if it's somebody that maybe you're not as close to? Because I definitely think there's different situations where I, I and maybe people listening, I'd be more comfortable to address something when it's a partner, right? To say, well, like, hang on a minute. Actually, I want to go back to here. But sometimes when it's either a stranger or even just an acquaintance, mm-hmm. um, I think I would be more reluctant to being open like that. And Yes. No, that's a really good point because there's different scenarios where this manipulation technique can come in and, and where it's um, subtext for something else. So let's say I had a client who left a very religious, it really was very cult-like, and she would bump into these people in her community and they would be like, we're all praying for you. We're worried about you, which, of course, the subtext is you're on the wrong path. You're going to hell. Your eternal damnation is now yours. And so we came up with a way for her to respond rather than taking the bait because she knows what they're saying in a passive aggressive way, trying to manipulate her, scare her into coming back. But instead, she was very sure that it wasn't right for her. We had already worked all that through. So instead, she would say, Thank you so much. We could all use more prayers. I'm praying for you guys too. It is so strong. Okay, so what does that actually do then? Take me through, because as as you said, I was like, oh my God, that feels so good. So what is that actually doing? Is that I'm standing my ground, I'm not taking the bait like you said, and I'm giving you almost a way that you can't rebut, like there's no way that they can almost come back at that. Is that the strategy? Well, you take the power away by not taking the bait. Because here's the thing, when we take the bait, we are colluding with the manipulation. When we take the bait, we're now a part of the manipulation dynamic. So part of being unmanipulatable to the best of our ability is that we are not super provocable by other people, especially if you have people in your family or extended family or even friend group who are manipulative who try to manipulate you and or who unconsciously. Because here's the thing, people always have a tendency to think that manipulation is always like a nefarious, like, "Mm, I got a secret plan to manipulate you. It's not always that. Because some people, if you don't have the ability to talk true, as I would call it, to be direct 
about things that can be very threatening for people to be direct. Yeah. So there's other ways that are socially acceptable ways that manipulation is used. So, for example, you may have a friend who complains all the time. You may have a partner who complains all the time. This can be a form of manipulation, especially if you're a codependent, if their complaint makes you want to fix what they're complaining about, makes you want to offer to help, makes you want to make them see a different way. It's not that bad. You know, maybe. And again, now that's a particular one that people could really be doing that unconsciously because it can be learned behavior. It can just be a habit. It almost is like we get lazy and just focus on the bad, right? It doesn't, it doesn't take like a lot of effort because of our negativity bias as human beings, right? We remember the bad stuff five times more readily Mm -hmm. than the good stuff. So it doesn't take a lot of effort. It's not very creative to complain all the time. Like it it doesn't take a genius to point out what's wrong in the world and in our lives. It's more challenging and of course better for our mental wellness if we're able to see it with more balance. Also point out the good. I don't mean hyper-positivity. I mean, take responsibility. Oprah says you have to take responsibility for the energy that you bring into a room and the energy that you leave in a room. And, you know, there's all of these, you know, side note, there's all these studies that are done about how damaging being around a chronic complainer is, how bad it is for you, mental health-wise. But there was a study done, and I'll find it, and I'll send it to you, about being around a chronic complainer as little as 30 minutes a day negatively impact the other people's IQ. Their IQ? Their IQ. Whoa, I didn't expect you to say that. Yeah, like it's bad for your brain. It's bad for your mental health, not to mention it's so hard to be around, especially if you lean towards codependency. Right, that's literally what I was going to say, because if you're in a relationship where you have someone that's maybe toxic, if you're someone who's codependent and an empath, those two together, I can see fueling each other and being more difficult to separate because actually the codependent person is getting almost what they need, even though it's not healthy for them. Yep. And and here's the thing. Instead of toxic, we'll say unhealthy. Okay. Because here's the thing. I feel like with, with the, the term toxic, it's used and misused a lot. And, and it's such an extreme word. We're really talking about unhealthy behavior, mm. right? Like the person, may maybe they're a chronic complainer, and yet they're like the greatest friend ever or they're something else. So it, I feel like it's too broad a stroke. So we're just going to say unhealthy for our purposes with what Love we're talking that. about now. Yeah. Um, so complaining, though, really can be a way to get you to do something, a way to, because what is manipulation, right? When we think about manipulation into someone else asserting their um, power or ability, doing their best to get you to do what they want you to do, which may be different than what you want to do. So, right, you want to have a conversation, what we started off with at the top, you want to have a conversation, you, you're confronting them about something, and they use the faux concern to get you off beat. Mm-hmm. We talked about the one who left the church. You run into those people, what do they want to do? They want to scare the crap out of you with their, their fake concern. You know, and maybe in their heart of hearts, they think it's real, but it's still a manipulation technique mm-hmm. because they're trying to get you to get right on the righteous path again, right? So what are other ones that we see sort of readily. I mean, listen, if someone is 
now we might be able to say toxic here, and really a manipulator, they could straight up lie as a manipulation tactic to get you what they want you to do. Just straight up lie. And if anyone who's been in a relationship with a narcissist or has been raised by one or has had any dealings with one knows that really the the ends justifies the means in their mind. And they will have selective memory about a conversation that you had about, I thought that we were going to talk about the vacation days before you committed to your family. No, I didn't say that. We agreed that, and literally, I I will have therapy clients coming in and being like, I can't tell what's real. I could swear we had the, like, I feel like I have to record our conversations because we remember them so differently. And that, that is lying, but it's also straight up gaslighting, which is another really big manipulation technique that we hear a lot about online, yeah. right? People are talking about gaslighting. So, so what is that? Let's establish it. And I'm sure you've talked about it on the show before, but we'll do it anyway, is where someone basically is denying your reality. They're wanting to shake the foundation of your um, reality, of your belief in yourself, your belief in what you heard, your belief in what happened. So why, why do they do this? Because when you're unstable, when you're off your game, when they can make you doubt yourself, doubt your reality, you are so much more malleable and controllable within the relationship. Mm-hmm. And they'll remind you. Do you remember when you thought we had that conversation, but we didn't? That is concerning to me. So even more, they're, they're getting their hooks into controlling you and what goes on. So with gaslighting, you have to be really mindful of the conversations that you have. You have to write them down. I love to put things in writing with people like that, where I'm like, as per our conversation on Wednesday the 4th, especially if it's business stuff where people, I feel like they're, they will have selective memory to their benefit and to my detriment. (laughs) I'm always like, hey, here's a recap of what we agreed to. And with people like that, of course, if it's business, <laughs> I have a rock solid contract as well, mm-hmm. because you, it, you can really get in trouble if you go into business with people like this, especially if you're a trusting soul. And I think one of the things that we can't possibly have this conversation without adding in is that when you're um, an empath, when you're a good person, when you're a kind person, when you're not a manipulative person by nature, we have a tendency to assume that other people are like us. It's called positive projection, where we actually project our own positive qualities onto other people, although we don't have evidence yet that those people actually possess those qualities. Mm -hmm. So I always say to my therapy clients, you know, let's wait and see. Let's slowly develop these relationships. And the more evidence we get that this person is emotionally trustworthy, That's what we're going to go on. We're not going to go on how we wish they were, how we pray they are, how we hope they are. And I'm not saying be a total paranoid basket case either. But there is something about having the patience to let the proof be in people's behaviors and not just their words. Because when you're a trusting soul, it's really easy to just go, well, they're like me. 
And I would say to my clients, babe, they're not like you, like, or we don't know yet. So let's just take our time as we develop relationships because people will start revealing. Even with these manipulation techniques that we're talking about, people will start revealing who they are. And here's what I say about red flag. We must take notice. Every person watching this, listening to this, if you've been in a bad relationship, oh dude, there were so many red flags that you were like, I don't know, maybe I'm just being too tough. Maybe I'm just being paranoid. Maybe they didn't mean it. Maybe they had a bad day. I want every person watching and listening to get committed to trusting your gut. If someone says something to you and your gut goes in a knot, I want you to write down why. Do not just slough it under the rug. Allow allow yourself to protect yourself. Your gut instinct is amazing. And a lot of us have been talked out of it, you know? I love that. And the the writing down of the gut, I actually have started to do because I think of it as it being a skill that I'm trying to cultivate and to, trying to get stronger. And so I think that the gut instinct has come from so many years, right, from childhood of you saw someone look at you that way and then they actually got mad at you. So now you associate that look with mad, right? So like, yeah. I think that there's, there's so many things that we've, um, that our intuition has developed from childhood. So now I almost like go, okay, how do I improve it? How do I get my gut instinct to be even stronger? So taking inventory is amazing. And then to your point, I've started to become somewhat of a flag conductor. So Mm -hmm. I almost like don't just put up red flags. It's like, oh, that was actually a really nice thing they did. Green flag. Yes. Oh, that's maybe a little concerning, but maybe it's just me because actually I'm in a bad mood right now. Orange flag. And so now to your point of if you can get inventory on everyone you meet, the people you come into communication with, over time, you'll start to see, hang on a minute, 90% of this is red flags. That tells you something. Yes. Um, I think that is so damn powerful. And I really want to make sure that we, we go deep actually on the projection thing because this was super fascinating. So the, the positive projection can set us up for maybe failure or some mm-hmm. detriment because I understand that because we really want people to do well. But I've also heard you talk about that projection from somebody else can be a manipulation tool. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about how someone else can project their feelings onto you to make you maybe feel like you're being gaslit or maybe making yourself doubt yourself. And then I'd love to kind of yes. that apart. Well, part of it is we all we all come from our own, you know, as Don Miguel Ruiz would say in the four agreements, right? We're all coming from our own nightmare, right? Even though that's not exactly what he says, but that's my interpretation <laughs> of one of those things, which is that we have our lived experience that informs our future experiences. Now, our awareness is the thing that can help us become a good flag conductor, right? I'm aware, oh, I had an unavailable, an emotionally unavailable father in childhood. How has that impacted my romantic relationships, my friend, all of it. It has now, of course, a bunch of therapy helps it affect it less. I'm aware Mm. of like, when I was younger, I went after unavailable people emotionally. Then when I got hip to that in therapy, I stopped dating unavailable men emotionally, but I started dating them. They were all people who lived in Europe. And my my therapist was like, Terry, dude, (laughs) They're literally <laughs> on other continents. They are still right. unavailable. And I was like, wow, this repetition, this compulsion to repeat what is familiar is really strong. Because she's like, the, here's, here's the thing, 
is that you're still left in a state of longing. And I was like, oh, you're right. I'm counting the days till I can see. You're right. That's exactly correct. Anyway, I figured that out through, through more therapy. But back to what you're saying, people can project onto you. And a really, um, let's say a common example of that is if you're dating someone who has had infidelity in their past, meaning someone cheated on them or multiple people cheated on them, and perhaps their parents had infidelity in their marriage. And then they're very jealous and paranoid, and they want to look through their, their, your phone and they are negatively projecting their past experiences onto you mm. and acting like you're guilty because you have a guy friend, because you wore those low-waisted jeans, whatever, whatever the thing is, like stuff that has nothing to do with being faithful or not being faithful. And so, and we can all do that in relationships. This is why therapy and mental wellness and being aware of who you are and what you've experienced in your lived experiences and your family, right? Your family of origin experience. All of these things create this unconscious blueprint about how the world is, about how love is, about how boundaries should be, about money, about success, about everything. And so part of the beautiful process of therapy, at least the way that I do it with people and what I write in my books and what I share online is that we're basically taking a walk into the basement and like opening up some dusty boxes to understand why do I relate this way? So if the person who was cheated on would go into their basement and would be like, why am I so paranoid? If I were being in the here and now, I would ask myself, does my partner, is there anything that they've done to indicate that they are unfaithful or that they will be unfaithful? And most likely the answer would be no, right? If you have not done anything, they could go from that place. They could have a conversation with you and be like, babe, I know I'm a little paranoid about needing to know where you are. And I have to say, I know it's me. I know it's from my past. So please bear with me. I'm working on it, right? We can talk about these things instead of acting them out. Because as people, those are basically our two choices. We're either going to talk it out because now it's from the basement to the main part of the house. Now we have the opportunity to go, hmm, let me dive into this and try to understand why the heck I'm like this. Or we act it out. Because those unresolved feelings, the pain that someone who was cheated on or the parents who cheated, that pain is driving and informing that person's paranoid behavior, mm. right? Because for them, you're like, it's not paranoid. My parents had it and I've had it in my past. <laughs> this is what happened. Love, people who, who love each other cheat on each other. That's their downloaded love blueprint. So it's our job to bring that up and understand it. Anyway, that was the longest way around the barn. <laughs> no, no, no. So, so here's the thing and exactly what you said. I think this is super powerful because so the having that communication can be amazing if that person's willing to do it. Yep. So now I go to, if I'm the person who's, let's say my boyfriend or my partner or whoever is saying, hey, that's too sexy. That's too raunchy. You're showing your belly. Um, I've got almost two options, right? Mm -hmm. I can go, Oh, he's got trauma from the past. His partner used that as a manipulation tool to get guys, um, attention. So I actually understand why he feels that me showing my belly is too revealing, even though I don't agree. So now I don't show my belly. Mm -hmm. And then the next time is like, actually, you know, I don't like it when you text so and so. So now I go, Oh, but I understand because of where it comes from. Their partner 
text a guy and that was the guy that they end up having the affair with. Yep. So now what I do is I start to maneuver and change my behavior because I want to communicate with my partner, because I want to show them respect. But over time, I slowly, slowly stop being the person I want to be. Yep. I would definitely be thumbs down on um, colluding with those limiting beliefs, those unresolved injuries, right? Because that's basically what we're doing. We can have an understanding, right? If you have an understanding and you can say to your partner, listen, I understand that. And yet you're in a relationship with me and this is who I am. And this is how I express myself. And I don't know if this is a deal breaker for us. We can talk about it, but I don't want to start cutting off parts of myself to appease your wounds. You're bleeding all over me, but I didn't cut you. Right? And maybe there's conflict, but at least that's honest. At least you're standing true in, I love you. I'm not being unfaithful to you. And me expressing myself through my fashion, having a, a, a guy who's a friend, that's my right as a human. And this is, I need to be fully self-expressed if I'm going to be my actual authentic self with you. And it bums me out that you want me to be smaller and I don't want to be. And actually, I'm not willing to be, but I am willing to talk and I am willing to get into therapy with you and I am willing to do plenty of things. You know, I mean, listen, if, if, if your partner says, I don't want you being best friends with your ex-husband, like best friends, to having plans alone, having like Wednesday night dinner with just your ex-husband, like there, there are nuances Why? in these scenarios. But the one we're talking about is not that. We're saying having, having a friend who's literally just a friend, dressing the way that you want that would be fully self-expressed and it threatening your partner. And you do have choices. So sometimes we compromise, right? But the type of compromising that you were saying and that you were saying kind of makes you too small yeah. is something where we're chipping away at our authentic self. And the end of that, that's like a one-way ticket to Bitterland. Because sooner or later, all of those considerations, all of that paranoia, all of the walking on eggshells, I don't want to set this person off around this, around that, around this, around that. Dude, no. It's no way to live. Think about anybody watching, listening, think about how much in your life right now you're walking on eggshells. That situation needs your attention. Because I promise you, it is no way to live because what happens is when we're always anticipating someone getting mad or being upset, we are so second-guessing ourselves. We're so self-conscious about our thoughts, about our next move. It's like, how can we be liberated to be the beautiful, unique expressions mm. of ourselves if we're second-guessing every move? Yeah, God, it's so tough. Like, when I was younger, my first boyfriend, um, before I met Tom, was verbally abusive to me. Mm. And he was jealous all the time. And I remember there being moments where I would have something sexy on and I wouldn't know what response I would get. I wouldn't know if he'd be like, oh my God, you look so hot today. Or if he'd fly off the handle and be like, you can't fucking wear that because other guys are going to look. I didn't know what I was going to get. And so to your point of walking on eggshells um, was such a, a, 
uncomfortable place to be. But I think it came from, I got tremendous validation from him when he said, oh my God, you look so hot. And so I obviously got tremendous emotional punishment if it was he was in the other mood and he was like, you look like a slut. He would say things like that, like yeah. you can't go out like that. Yeah. Um, and so, but because I was so insecure, I wouldn't leave because the moments that he gave me the validation were just enough yeah. to keep me to stay. Mm. Speaking of manipulation tactics <laughs> in the world mm -hmm. and in the dating world and in the world of romance, kind of what you're describing is breadcrumbing, mm -hmm. right? Where someone gives you just enough to stay, just enough to be like, oh, I'm, I'm seeking that high of their approval. And now I got a little bit, especially in the dating world, it's actually very, this is a manipulation technique that is used all the time, mm -hmm. which is... Someone pops in with a flirty text and is like, hey, been thinking about you. And you're like, oh my gosh, we should meet up. Radio silence. They just wanted to know that you would still react, respond, want to see them. It's very unlikely you're meeting up with that person. Mm. Right? If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. I'm going to be utterly honest. There is little more damaging to your confidence than feeling weak and helpless and just struggling to get the care that you actually need from your doctor. And trust me, guys, I unfortunately speak from experience because when I was struggling with crippling, crippling gut issues about nine years ago now, it took me years, years to find a doctor that not only could I connect with, but a doctor that actually would listen, wouldn't gaslight me and actually take my words and my experience as truth so that they could actually eventually help me heal and not just to give me another freaking pill and then push me out the door. But now, my homie, you don't have to struggle to find the right doctor for you anymore. And that's thanks to ZocDoc. ZocDoc is an absolutely free app 
and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and then instantly book appointments with them online. And with ZocDoc, you can actually filter by insurance, location and specialities to find the perfect fit for you, not for your friend, not for anyone else, but for you. Plus, on top of that, you can actually go and read verified reviews from real patients to find the doctor that you can actually trust. And typically, wait times for booking an appointment are days, not weeks. Because let's face it, when you're sick, you need to see someone right now. So my homie, do not, I repeat, do not neglect your health. Instead, go over to ZocDoc dot com slash lisa and download the zocdoc app for absolutely free then find and book a top rated doctor today that's zocdoc z-o-c-d-o-c dot com slash lisa zocdoc dot com slash lisa breadcrumbing is fascinating i was about to ask you how you know if it's a breadcrumb or a loaf like You know, if it's just like the trickle or they're actually serious. Um, The disappearing actually is that's fascinating on just like them just testing to see if you're still available. And and responding in this very selective way. Mm -hmm. So if you're like, hey, do you want to meet up on Friday? Um, Also, I saw Bob from accounting or whatever. They'll, They'll say something like, oh, my God, I saw Bob from accounting, too, two weeks ago. That's so weird. And say nothing about the do you want to meet up? So they're responding to you technically, but they're, that omission is so, tells you everything you need to know. So let's break it down. How do we know if it's the crumbs or the loaf? Again, here's where we're going to be collecting the red flags, where if someone's behavior is erratic, if you can't count on it, if they pop back up, there's also a thing called paper clipping. Where I know, who knows? I, I just did a show on dating somewhere, so I like I have all these terms. But paper clipping is where someone is. You haven't heard from them at all. They just pop back up as if nothing has happened, and then disappear again. So it's it's actually similar breadcrumbing, but breadcrumbing there seems to be more con- there seems to be more contact. It's sporadic, and it's very specific and pointed. So they're not making plans with you. That's what's happening with breadcrumbing. Mm-hmm. And even if they do, they'll flake, they won't show up, they'll ghost, they'll, they'll cancel the last minute. So what you're looking for is consistency. So if, if we're looking for relationships with people who are sincere, right? I mean, listen, not, not everyone's looking for that. But if you are looking for something, it's so important to pay attention to someone's behavior because words are so cheap. They're like a dime a dozen. Anyone can say anything. What I want to know, and I would always say this to my clients when they're like, oh my gosh, he said we should go to the south of France and we should do this. And I'm like, that's lovely. What did he do? When he said he was going to call you on Friday, did he call? No, he didn't call. Okay, so can we write that down? Can we be aware? Did you say anything to him about not calling? No, because I don't want to seem like a nag and I don't want to be, I don't even know him. Do you want to get to know him? If the rest of your life is going to be someone saying shit and not keeping their word, do you want to get to know them? Like, how about let's not be so afraid of rejection that our bar is so low for other people's behavior, which is why it's so important that we really get that how we treat ourselves, that's the thing that sets the bar for every other relationship in your life. So if you're last on your own list, if you treat yourself like crap, if you talk about yourself badly, if you put up with crap behavior from other people, you will inevitably 
attract folks who agree with your low self-esteem, mm. right? So that's the first place when people are in my courses, when, um, you know, people get into therapy with me, that's the first place is if they've got relationships that are problematic, that are creating pain for them, we always dive first into, okay, what do you really feel about yourself? Do you high, hold yourself in high esteem? Do you think you're valuable inherently? Like you don't have to throw a parade or like light yourself on fire to keep other people warm. Like, do you believe that you have inherent worth simply by virtue of being alive? And if the answer to that is no, that's where we start the work because that changes everything. When, when our self-care, self-love, we hold ourselves in high regard, it changes your entire world because you don't put up with crap behavior from other people. And I know we're on the same page here of mm-hmm. not putting up with bad behavior from others, but we realize that we have a choice. We can opt out. And I'm not talking about people in severely abusive relationships, and I'm not minimizing that because mm-hmm. that shit is not simple, yeah. and you can't, and it could be dangerous to just opt out. So that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about having friends who treat you badly. We're talking about being in a relationship where you do all the work, where you're doing all the emotional labor, mm-hmm. where your partner is like, you can take care of the house, the kids, and everything, and I'm. it's really about me and my quality time with my friends. I have a friend who has a husband who... You know, she just does literally everything and her whole life is built around making sure he gets enough rest, making sure he gets to do the things he likes to do, not caring that he goes on vacation with his friends and she's left home with three kids. Like where I'm like, what happened? And she's so amazing that I want to be like, why? She knows I don't like him. I don't like him. I don't like him. Why does he treat her like that? But why does she put up with it It is is the better question. And of course, lovingly, I've lovingly told her my concerns over the years. And, you know, all we can do is that, right? When when it's other people, all we can do is share our concern. Yeah. And... That's it's very hard when it's somebody else, right? Especially if you're a therapist, I'm sure you've got so much advice and you're just like, that's her side of the street. I, I love your analogy, which by the way, I use it all the freaking time, side of the street to myself as well. Same. I go to like tell someone something and I'm like, nope, Lisa, it's not your side of the street. So that analogy in our last episode for anyone at home, go watch it. It changed my life on how I think about boundaries and like, okay, is this me or is this their side of the street? Such a beautiful way of thinking about things. I literally say it out loud to people now. So <laughs> I, I, I really do use it. Um, but even thinking through everything that we're talking about, I know that you talk about manipulation tactics that people can use that um, I think really embeds in someone who's a people pleaser and someone that identifies themselves as an empath or really wants to help other people is the guilt trip. Mm. And people, I think there are... Again, I want to be careful when I say manipulation, because to your point, some people use it deliberately and some people don't use it deliberately. It's still manipulation either way, though. Okay. Right. So we, we it's intentional. Perfect. Or unconscious. Perfect. Either one of those, people do guilt trip you. Yes. So I'd actually love to hear scenarios of how we would address if it's someone that's deliberately trying to guilt you, trip you in order to deliberately manipulate you to do something you naturally wouldn't yep. do. How would I address that? And then someone who doesn't mean to manipulate you, um, but they're still using the guilt treatment as a means to get you to do something. Yep. So guilt, shame, blame. These are, this is like the trifecta 
of manipulation, especially if you're an empath, Mm. because we feel it so deeply, because we don't want anyone to be mad, because we don't want, oh my God, someone being disappointed with us, you're like, ah. Yeah, the disappointed person, that's the worst. Just the worst. (laughs) We want to do anything to avoid that. And yet we have to learn to tolerate our feelings and to get really clear as you're healing, as empaths, someone being upset can be enough to make us just abandon ourselves and go, okay, fine. All right. It's, it's not a big deal. Like, we don't have to make a big deal about it. I'll, I'll do the thing. Right. So I want you to be aware if you're someone who is like quick to self-abandon in those times. Mm-hmm. And you also, let's get clear about who are the guilt trippers in our lives. Because trust me, you know, I know, everybody listening knows, we know. A lot of times it's mothers, a lot of times it's old school, a lot of times there's a cultural element Mm. to it. But we still have the opportunity to not let it work. So there's a couple of things that you can say to someone. And, And I feel like this is appropriate, whether we feel like it's intentional or unintentional. If someone's like, um, well, you told me that you love that car. And so I bought that car. Now I hate that car. So I don't know why you told me to buy it. You'd be like, hey, Bob, you bought that car of your own volition, your own accord. I did not. I got nothing out of you buying that car. So I'm, I'm actually not taking this on. But I'm sorry that you're bummed out. But the words are, I'm not taking this on or... I'm not taking responsibility for your choice, right? Or someone who makes you feel bad that you have what they want. So let's say someone who gets engaged to be married and they're so excited. They're, they're, yeah, yeah, I got engaged. And you have a friend who's like, good for you. Too bad it's never going to be me. <laughs> right? Friend. And there are people like that who you know the friend who like legit can't be happy for you. They can't. Everything good that happens to you is like something bad happening to them. That's an unhealthy friend, but I feel like every person in the world has had at least one of them. If someone were to say that, you could say, hey, what I would love is if you could just be happy for me right now. Right now, my engagement is about me. And do you actually advise to ask that as someone, even if you can predict that they're not going to be happy? Because my instinct to go, oh, they're never going to be happy. If I say this out loud, they're just going to dismiss it. And now I actually feel worse about myself. So in this situation, maybe depending on the person, I wouldn't say it. It depends on how close you are. Because if it's someone who you want to have a close relationship Mm. with, then I would say to them, not not in a moment of great joy, of my own great joy, Mm. but I would at a different moment, maybe we're out to lunch. I have to be honest with you. I hesitate to tell you good things that happen in my life because a lot of times your response is that you're sad it's not you. So I feel like it can never really be about me and it bums me out. I feel like it's coming between us. So I wonder if you'd be willing to work on that or think about that. Now, will they be mad? Will they be like, oh my God, I can't do anything right or whatever. Who knows what people can be defensive and you can say, I see that you're feeling defensive about this. I understand. And yet, this was a hard conversation for me to initiate with you. And I did it because I love you. And it would have been so much easier to not, which is what I've been doing. But I feel like if I keep not having the real conversation with you, I'm not going to want to be friends. 
Isn't one of your quotes something like, um, if you have something to say, by not saying it, it's a lie? Like omission. Yes. Yes. That, I mean, listen, omission is a kind of a lie, you know? And, and when I say omission, I don't mean if your girlfriend, your friend, your pal gets a bad haircut, right? <laughs> I'm not saying... You know, Just be like, that looks fucking ugly. Yes, that's <laughs> awful. So I don't believe in like brutal honesty. Right, unless my friend you. says, honestly, what do you think? You know what? Honestly, you're beautiful either way. I like it a little longer better. There's a way that we can be kind. I'm not saying you have to lie. But when we're talking about omission, we're talking about omitting important things, right? Omitting things that actually change. You know, someone has a child with someone else and you think that they're in a monogamous relationship with you and they have children with you. Them not telling you, that's a big omission, which is a lie, right? Meaning you built your relationship Mm. on a lie, you know? So I think that in being able to have the conversation, even though it's hard, and some people can tolerate it and some people can't, but again, how they receive it is not your side of the street. Your side of the street is being healthy enough and loving yourself enough to be like, I don't want to be in a relationship with this friend who I can never tell them the good things that happen in my life because they're actually jealous of every good thing. That's like a selfish person. And maybe they could step it up and be less selfish. And maybe they literally are clueless about how the way they are is impacting and hurting you. And so it is so loving to be honest in that way, even though they may not feel it in the moment. They may not feel like it's being, it's so loving. But the truth is it is because it's so much easier just to ghost people, just to be monumentally busy, just to like never make plans with that person anymore. But maybe there's something valuable in that friendship for you. Mm. And I, I promise you, asserting yourself, asserting your truth, unless the person is actually toxic, unless they can never hear it, unless we know that they're a narcissist, right? We don't want to make, speaking of manipulation, if we have evidence that the person we're talking about has no capacity for self-reflection, no interest in taking responsibility, for what is their side of the street. That is someone who in my book is truly toxic. Mm. So I do not want people making themselves vulnerable to that type of manipulative personality because it's dangerous. Mm. Because the more that person knows about you, the more they're gonna use it against you. So we're really talking about two kinds of relationships. The ones where there's hope, where we can work something out, and in all of those relationships, there's manipulation or attempts to manipulate, even in healthy relationships, right? But, it, but if I'm negotiating with my husband, I'm doing it honestly. So that's not manipulation. I'm trying to persuade him. He wants to have this for dinner. I'm like, please, I really want pizza. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. You said last week we get a pizza. Like, that's not the same as manipulation. That's honest negotiation, mm. which is different. Because our cards are on the table. He's trying to get his need met. I'm trying to get my need met. That's life. That's a long-term relationship. You need to be able to do that. But the difference is that with manipulation, we are hiding our true motive under guilt, shame, blame, fake concern, lying, love bombing, um, gaslighting, right? Mm -hmm. All of those things. 
Dude, that was so freaking strong because as you were talking, I was like, look, a lot, some of the stuff we're going over, I've done to other people before, not meaning it to be a form of bad manipulation. Yeah. And so even with talking about everything, I'm like, oh, wow, I've actually said that to someone before. Why did I say it like that? Was I trying to manipulate them? And it was like, oh, maybe I was trying to manipulate them, not in an evil way. Right. So I'm like processing everything in my head and then going, but I don't feel like I'm a toxic person. So thank you. That was literally going to be my question of like, how do you start to decipher what is a learned behavior that maybe you've seen from your siblings, your parents? And so you just mimic that behavior because you know it works. You don't think of it as being a manipulation tool. Yeah. But now with everything we're saying, I think the, the realities and revealing that is really strong. But then comparing that to someone that absolutely means it is doing it to, um, as a controlling mechanism, as a power play, as pulling the wool over your eyes, as being that controlling person. Yeah. So, um, that differentiator makes all the sense. And I'm exactly with you. I openly, I like to say to my husband, I openly manipulate him. Like that's just the words we use, but I'm like, I have no qualms. It's like, babe, if you do this, I'll, I'll give you some nookie. But like, right. it's like joke, no joke. I think that that's healthy in a relationship in the sense if you can be transparent yes. and honest about it. Cause I'm not shy about it. I'll be like, all right, babe, what do you want? Like, right. and it works for us, but there's no deceiving. Exactly. So it's not manipulation, right? If, if there's transparency, it's not manipulation. Right, right. I think that the, the pain points for so many of my clients around this is for themselves. Like if we're looking in, if we're doing self reflection work around where are you? not being straight? Mm -hmm. Where are you trying to get a need met through passive aggressive means, through guilt, through manipulation? Because listen, none of us are perfect. And most of us have no model for being direct and asking for what you need and being straight, telling the truth. We really don't because it's considered in many cultures, being direct is considered rude, mm -hmm. right? It's considered being caustic or like too bossy or like too brazen. Well, the Brits, exactly that. Oh my God, the worst, so bad. I mean, Americans would be considered very direct mm -hmm. if we're looking at the cultures. Right, yeah, cultures. Right? I mean, except not in the South. <laughs> so not in the South, because in the South of the US, they've gotten passive aggressive communication down to a science. <laughs> really? Yes. If you want to say something bad about someone, if you want to say someone is a hot mess, mm -hmm. if you want to say they're like a stupid moron, you're like, bless his heart. Bless <laughs> his heart is never about blessing anything. <laughs> People from the South, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You know it. I do that as well, though. If I've got nothing nice to say, I'm like, bless. Like, yeah. it's just, it, it is a way to not be cruel or mean, but not be silent. I, I will actually say, bless and release oh. because that mm. feels good to me. Like mm. I don't have to have a bad feeling about this person. I don't like this thing I just heard about them or I don't agree with them, but I'm releasing it because it's not my side of the street and I don't need to agree with them, mm. right? They, they can just go. Mm. But for the rest of us, if you've got a parent, you're a grown adult and you've got a parent who guilts you, who's constantly giving you advice that you don't want to take, who's constantly getting, trying to get you to do things you don't want to do take family vacations, come home and be home for Christmas for 10 days or whatever, whatever the thing is, you have to decide how you're going to handle that. Because that guilt can be very um, effective, right? It, it can work.
I never want, even now. I feel like my mother's pretty healthy. She's 85, but I don't want her to be disappointed in me. But I also realize a lot of times I'm, it's the little child in me. Like it's not what my mother's doing now. Right. It's how I felt as a kid. And so I'll stop myself and say, this is ridiculous. You do not have to go above and beyond if, if whatever I was traveling and she wanted to see me on a Sunday and I was going to get no sleep. It's okay to say no and give myself permission. A lot of times if I feel like I'm being quote unquote manipulated, even if I'm manipulating myself unconsciously, mm-hmm. I'll go, but I'll be resentful. Mm-hmm. Just checking a box, just getting it done. So I think with guilt, shame, and blame, we just have to be really aware of who are the people in our lives who do that. And do we do that? Even with like germ blaming, you know, it's so funny. Like I have friends and I love them, but you know, they'll be like, I definitely got the cold from so-and-so's kid who was, (laughs) and I'm always like, why are you like tracking? It's like a storm tracker. You're tracking the germs where they came from. I have no friggin' idea. The reason why I love it, I do that. I'm like, it was so-and-so, and they freaking sneeze, and then they touch the handle, and then I touch the freaking handle, and I'm like, and then literally I go into hyper, like, you're not allowed in the house for two weeks. Like, I do go extreme. Help me. Help me, Terry. I don't know why. I just always felt, before the pandemic, I was like, I really had low tolerance for my germ-phobic friends. Then the pandemic, of course, they got very validated in being germ-phobic. Everyone was like, we're all germ-phobic now. What you got now, Terry? Yeah, exactly. They're like, oh, you don't want to, am I still a germ tracker? I'm like, you are, but now I understand why it's a good reason to be. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. We have to understand the human element of why does it make us feel better yeah. to know? It's true. Because it's something we can't control. Even to the be- even in, in our best efforts. And so we there is an illusion of control mm. if we track the germs. Oh. So we do everything we can control. We wash our hands, we use the, the stuff, we do all the things, mask up on a plane, whatever, even now, because there seems to be more of it coming out. And so there's an illusion of control. Yeah. Um and so as we're talking about um the, the control factor. Um, the manipulation, I think, for me at least, is when I start to sense, is this a manipulation? Like that almost is worse for me than not realizing I'm being manipulated because it's the turmoil is like, so you, you were talking about it earlier and you alluded to it with the gaslighting, right? Where it's like, it makes you think like you're going freaking crazy. Yep. And that idea of, am I losing my mind? Have I imagined it? Like, puts you on your back hill, which then makes me feel out of control, which then makes me question everything. Yep. Here's the thing, though. If we start to identify with our red flags and doing our inventory, Mm -hmm. you're going to see a pattern of who do I feel this way with? Who do I question my reality with? There will be a pattern because if someone is gaslighting you, It's going to be the same people who are the real manipulators in your life. So you can sort of soothe yourself by being like, here's the pattern. It is my mother-in-law. It is my my mother, my Bobbin County, I don't know, whoever it is, that I have these experiences with where I always seem to somehow get what they said wrong. Why is it only with Bobbin accounting? 
that I can't seem to get it together and remember accurately what happened. So is that me? Or is that now I see a pattern because if it's not happening in other relationships. So part of it is we must be mindful. And it's important to have friends that you can talk to who you trust to say, remind me of this. I've had the same conversation with my mother-in-law four times where she tells me I agreed to do something and play games over a weekend with her friends that I swear to God I did not say I would do. And now she's holding me to it, but I didn't even agree to it. Remind me that this happened because I have this tendency to forget. I'm going to do it this time, but I'm not doing it next time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's really good if we can have an accountability buddy, especially if you feel like this is something that happens readily or regularly with certain people in your life. That is something to investigate. Yeah, because I think that that's so important to to actually say out loud. Thank you. In that I don't just always want to assume it's the other person, right? right. Maybe it is something with me that I always have an issue with a guy in accounting. Yeah. And in fact, it wasn't there the story of one of your clients where they would keep complaining about all the female in, in accounting or something. Yep. Um, and then you asked her the question, who does this remind you of? Yes. And it was her bully sister. Yeah. So she was repeating that relationship. And that was her side of the street. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's super powerful because I don't ever want to be like, oh, it's always them. I'm always asking myself, how is my involvement in this? Is there anything I could have done differently or better? And that isn't to beat myself up. That is always to try and improve. Yes. And so with that story with this female with where you asked her and she said, oh, with this, my bully sister, that's a great example of someone now that may go, oh, it's always this person that does this. They're manipulating me. They're always trying to trick mm. me. I've got my own back. But actually, maybe it's something that you've held on to that you haven't realized. Yes, but how you can realize it. Mm. So if you see this pattern, the pattern that you just described, you can ask yourself those three questions for clarity which will help you see if you're repeating something that's unresolved from your past. So who does this person remind me of? Where have I felt like this before? And how is this behavioral dynamic, the way we're interacting, how is that familiar to me? So those answers to those questions, you may find that you're blaming your boss for being like a judgmental cold jerk you may ask those questions. Who does this person remind me of? And you'll be like, oh my God, reminds me of my judgmental cold father. Where have I felt like this before? All of my childhood. (laughs) How is this familiar to me? Me trying to get that person's approval, them withholding their approval. Why does it matter that we get those answers? So let's say you discover that you're repeating something from the past, an unresolved painful wound that you may have. What matters is There's also the adult you. When you reveal that, you're like, oh my gosh, my boss is not my father. I'm 10. Wow. I was really having an amplified response to this person. But now that I have a choice, now that it's in my conscious mind, I'm going to remind myself that my boss is not my father. And I'm going to relate to my boss as the accomplished professional that I am, not seeking their approval but seeking on my merit, right? I'm going to be doing well in this company because of what I contribute, not because I'm looking at them like my father. Mm -hmm. Now that might sound convoluted. I hope that it was straightforward enough for people to get because it is so powerful when you use this tool 
of understanding where you're having what's called a transference, which means that you are in current day, in modern time, right now, in this present moment, you are reacting to a situation that is similar or reminds you of something that is unresolved from the past, that that impacts how you are in this present moment. So exactly like you shared about my client who always had a conflict with someone at work, we called it her work arch enemy, and she was so convinced that it was them. And I'm not saying those people were not jerky. Maybe they were, I don't know. But all I know is that the way she was experiencing it was about an unresolved wound in her. Mm. When we ask these three questions, who does that arch enemy at work remind you of? Where have you felt like this before? How is it familiar? She was able to go, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. It is my sister. I'm relating to these people like they actually are my sister. I have no patience for them. I'm so frustrated. I see them as bullies. But are they? Or is it me? And once we resolved that original injury, what is so interesting is that all of that conflict just dissolved into the ether for her. So there's power in knowing what we might be having an amplified response to because of something that needs our attention within us. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about. That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. I think, honestly, if I had to say, I think that's one of the biggest things that has happened to me um, in my growth and evolution over the last couple of years is identifying honestly my triggers, where they come from, and then owning them. Like I used to put my triggers on my husband. Oh yeah. Like, like, babe, that isn't very nice. You, that is, you, you were just mean to me, right? Like very much projecting on the things that he would say. And then once I started to do the deep dive and go, Oh, this comes from an insecurity from my childhood. To your point, I'm an adult now. So anything that I have, again, I don't even can speak for myself. I just take ownership. Yes, this may have come from my dad. Yes, this may have come from my mom. Whatever. I'm an adult now. So I've recognized it. That's very hard for people. So I want to give people super grace for that. But once you recognize it, what are you going to do about it? Yep. Period. Like that's as blatant as I am with myself. It's like now that you know, Lisa, this is a trigger. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. It is not your husband's responsibility. It is yours. So what I've started to do is articulate the trigger to my husband or people around me that yeah. I'm close to. Let them know it's my trigger. I'm working on it. And what I now do, if the people that I've told in real time, if I catch myself, I'll actually address it. So I'll even say to my husband, oh my God, you're so me. 
oh my God, babe, I, I was just triggered. Apologies, this is on me. I'm still working on it. For now, can you not say X, Y, and Z words because I'm still triggered by it. So I catch myself, I own it. I let him know I'm working on it. And that allows me to feel good about myself when I get triggered. But you also did something really important in that scenario, Liz. You invited, you enrolled, mm-hmm. you you asked him to collaborate with you on what you're working on by saying, could you be mindful of that tone? Mm-hmm. You know, again, I'm not putting it on you. Yeah. And because he loves you, he'll be mindful. I remember after my father died very suddenly, um, I was very I don't know why, but the way it struck me, I was very worried that suddenly my husband was going to drop dead. Like it was this, I knew it was trauma. I knew it would take time. But I remember we were at the gym together. And normally we would meet at a certain spot after we worked out and he didn't come. And I, and he wasn't there and he's very timely. And I went to the front desk and now this was only like two weeks after my father's death. So I said to the front desk, can you page my husband? They page my husband, still doesn't come. And then finally, I say to her, he's like, well, he's not coming. I said, you know, can someone go look in the bathroom? Because he might have just been sitting on the toilet and just died. Literally, I said this to the front desk woman who's like, um, oh, does he have a heart problem? I was like, no, but sometimes people just die. She was like, uh, okay. So they go. So for he comes out and he's a little bit, a little perturbed. He's like, you had me paged? You had someone, I was in the bathroom. You had someone come get, like, what is going on? And I was like, you know. You might just die. I was like, started bawling. He was like, oh my God, babe, are you okay? <laughs> like, whatever. So we go outside and he was like, I was like, listen, I know this is me, but I need you to not be late. Babe, I'm going to work this out, but I need you to tell me where you are. Like, I need to know that you have not just died of a massive coronary. He's like, okay. And that, that invitation, even when you know it's you, when you're in a, a partnership, where there's a lot of trust, you know Tom wants to be your solution. I know my husband wants to be a part of my solution. I know the moment he saw me upset, whatever irritation was there was completely gone and replaced with absolute concern of like, what can I do to help? And so I do think if you're in a safe relationship, it's really powerful to say, hey, and I would love it if while I'm still feeling this way, you can make sure to call me when you say you will, or you can make sure to be on time, or whatever the thing would be. And again, we're not putting it on them, but we are inviting them to be a part of the solution, which is very loving. And I, I love that decipher. And then also, I think it allows you to give your partner the opportunity to either show up or not, right? Because if they're just like, well, yeah, it's your trigger. Like, you need to deal with it. That just shows you the type of person they are and the type of relationship that you're going to have. If you're holding true to your side of the street, I want to always improve. And the other person is just pointing, yeah, yeah. your side of the street is always messy. Um, that doesn't seem like a partnership. So it almost feels like a nice, I don't like to say test. That doesn't sit well with me, but a nice well, um, yes. reality to check in on. There is a barometer yeah. of what is your interest in their wellness and them sort of being optimally well. What is their interest in your optimal wellness. Mm. And I think that in long-term relationships, this has to be a part of the a part of the equation if it's going to last. I mean, we've been married 25 years very happily. Congratulations. Why thanks. But it's it's you you work, you change, you grow, you pay attention to each other. And I could never do it 
I could never have stayed or been in this relationship if I didn't trust him implicitly. Always has my best interest. Mm-hmm. Always. Doesn't matter what the situation. He's like, what can I do? How did it go? You're going to be great. You, it, it doesn't matter. Like, I know for sure he has my highest and best in, in his heart. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same about him. And I feel like working towards that in relationships, this is what we're talking about. Creating a safer space when we're triggered to be able to talk about it. Taking ownership, what you said before, at least, is so important to creating healthy, lasting bonds is us being able to self-reflect and go, huh, I'm going to get radically curious about why I reacted that way. Why was I so mad? Why was I so hot about that? Why did I, why did I burst into tears? And we look at that with curiosity, not judgment of ourselves. There's so much information there. How do we start to assess a fine line between triggers that you have learned versus acceptable learned disrespect? Now, what I mean by that is, especially when it comes to family, siblings, Mm -hmm. parents, things like that, there's a way that things have happened. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes a trigger of yours is from the childhood that you can get over, or sometimes you have a belief that this is basically learned disrespect and you don't think of it as a trigger and you think of it as just being um, a part of you. And and you think of it as legitimate. Yes, correct. I do not like this. I do not want to tolerate this. So the difference, what you're talking about, Lisa, is the difference between triggers and boundaries. So over here, with this sort of learned or accepted disrespect, we as grown-ups, have to decide what are our own acceptable boundaries, which is what are our preferences, what are our limits, what are our deal breakers, right? What, what is just a non-negotiable? Like, no, I, I, that does not work for me. When you come from a family system where, let's say, there was um, intrusiveness, maybe it was very enmeshed, where everyone was in everyone's business, constantly giving you advice and telling you you're doing it wrong or whatever, as a grown-up, that's going to be challenging to establish new boundaries with that old group of folks. If we look at boundaries and the way we interact in relationships as dances, We look at our family of origin as like the original dance troupe because (laughs) (laughs) we've been dancing with those motherfuckers the longest, right? So it makes it more challenging because they also see you as your 10-year-old self, your five-year-old self. They love to remind you of things, certain family systems, not mine, but others, where they'll be like, oh, look, look, look how cute. Look who's getting so healthy. Oh, look who's talking about their boundaries. Like Mm -hmm. people will feel very threatened in a family system, especially in a mesh family system, if you want to change it. But here's the thing, and I've helped thousands of clients over the years, just opt out, right? You you can choose boundaries that you do have control over. You may love your family. You may still want to go home and you may choose to stay in a hotel. And many family systems, that is offensive. You don't want to stay in your high school bedroom with your spouse and your kids on the blow up mattress. No, in fact, I don't. So I'll be staying in a hotel. And I can't tell you how many clients, family of origin, had a problem with that. And I was like, but here's the thing. If the choice is you staying in a hotel, so it's actually a vacation for you, or you not going, they'll probably get over it. But again, what it means is that we can't be so 
thin-skinned, right? If you want to be healthy in your life, you have to be self-determined, right? If your parents want you to come home or your mother wants you to come home and stay in your high school bedroom and you don't want to, don't. Mm -hmm. Mom, it's not personal. I love you. I'm going to see you the whole time I'm here. I want to sleep well, which I don't. When I'm in a twin bed, like, or whatever it is, you can tell the truth. And if they're like, I can't believe you and you're so selfish, I see that you're upset and I'm sorry, mom, but I really am not moving on this. Yeah, that's, that's really powerful, hoping that they respond with kind, right? Where it's like, oh, okay, I hear you, fine, going, you know, um, staying in a hotel. But you, you sometimes get, I'm not sure what to call it, but like almost the stacking effect where you have like your mom saying it and then your cousin says yeah. it and then everyone jumps on board. And now what it seems like is it's almost, especially if you're the one that's done the growth, to toxic normality. I almost like don't yeah. know what to, what word to use, but that is a thing that, that hit me where I was like, oh, everybody is uh, has this toxic behavior and so it just seems normal to them yes. and um, I'm just going to give you a real world example that happened to me recently and this is actually where the question comes from because you're just going to be my therapist for today <laughs> so um I was with my family there were 17 of us cousins uncles aunts all in Vegas at the same time um we haven't all been together for so long and so you can imagine all my family they, we've all grown up together and so I'm in this family dynamic and somebody, I don't want to blast them, but somebody turns around to someone else very close to someone in my family and they're like, hey, ugly, hey, ugly, shouting across the table to someone that I care about. They're just calling them ugly. And I found it so damn disrespectful. Mm -hmm. And now in moments in my past when I can actually put, I've heard it a thousand times. It's never registered before. Never, except this time. Hmm. And this time I heard it and I was like, that is so disrespectful. And so I stepped in. Mm -hmm. And so I said, please don't call them that. I find that very disrespectful. And everyone stopped and everyone like, oh, right, the, the air comes out of the room. I said it in a very calm manner. I said it very politely, but everyone stopped. And they were like, why is that disrespectful? What do you mean? Why is that disrespectful? I always call her ugly. And I was like, in that moment, I was like, oh, shit, well, it is disrespectful to me, but I didn't ask the other person if it was disrespectful to them. So now the dynamic was they stepped in and they said, actually, I don't find this disrespectful. And in that moment, Terry, I was like really stuck. I was like, oh, shit, this seems like a disrespectful moment. I've now gotten the confidence in my eyes to speak up to it and say that is disrespectful. Please don't insult someone in my family. But now everybody else is saying, no, it's fine. So now, Terry, I, I question, mm -hmm. is it toxic normality? Have I been triggered because I got called ugly when I was a kid? Mm -hmm. So that's now the thing of like the 14-year-old Lisa won't get bullied anymore. Yep. And I've really been processing on if I could do it again because I never beat myself up overdoing it. Sure. Was I right in standing up for the person in my family? Was it toxic normality or was I triggered and actually this whole thing started with me and having a sensitivity yep. to the word ugly? I, I have to say, I think it's that. And I'll tell you why. Yeah. Because the person, here's the thing. Someone, this is between two people and you were the third party. If this person were, it, it's up to this person to be like, cause, cause you don't know what the ribbing is between them, what the, what the, the social norms. Yeah. It was very socially normal for them to do that. Yes. And the thing is, 
if she didn't find it or he didn't find it offensive, it's it's a misuse of the word. It's not actually calling the person out, right? If she didn't find it offensive, I don't imagine it means the same, but it, do, it doesn't even matter. The bottom line is your side of the street was over here. Mm-hmm. This person's side of the street's here. This person's side of the street here. Yeah. And so what happened is I do believe that you find it so offensive, partly because in normal conditions, it is. It's not a nice thing to call someone, mm-hmm. no matter what. Mm-hmm. But people's social norms and family norms are weird. Like, I can't say, you know what I mean? Because I've been in family norms where they're talking to little kids and they're like, oh, you're such a bad boy. You're so bad. Are you bad? Like, I just remembered this that experience once. And I was like, why the hell is this grandmother continuing to call? And they were like, oh, no, this is just, this is just it's just affection. I was like, that is so weird. But in that family... That was affection. For you, the um, chance to be seen when you weren't seen mm-hmm. at 14 or you weren't seen at 10, I think it was just too tempting. You were triggered, but also it was like, you wanted to be like, I'm not putting, this is bullshit. Like, I'm not putting up with this now. I am going to say something. So I think it's a combination because it's not what you're seeking. It's not this black and white where it's like, are they toxic? Are they not? It's not because there's too many mitigating factors to be able to conclusively say what it is. Cause I have no idea what's between these two people. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what that meaning is. We know from you, cause you've been generous enough to tell us what was triggered within you. So I'm going to go with that. That's amazing. I'd love to go a little deeper if you don't sure, mind. I love because it. As you go to like the meaning going back to what if you've been brought up with a toxic attitude that this is how we show love, right? How many people get physically abused or yep. mentally abused where it's like, oh, but that's that's how my dad showed me love, so I just accept it from my partner. We would say, no, 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 that's abuse, walk away. So how do you actually decipher what is toxic normality mm-hmm. um, and what's just like sensitivity? So to your point, it's like maybe, maybe this person wasn't sensitive like I was or maybe they have the misguided illusion that that means love to them. Yeah. Or maybe it does mean love to them. Do you know what I mean? Because we don't know what the, we don't know what the code language means between those two people of calling someone ugly, even though that sounds like a stretch, but I don't think it is. So let's, let's take, let's take up teasing, for example, Mm. because this is, this is the whole thing. Listen, somebody abusing you, if they're saying it's for your own good, I'm doing it because I'm protecting you, because I want you to learn, maybe. But I, I don't, unconsciously, people will say, this is the way I was loved, so now I'm going to love my kids this way, right? Unconsciously. But most people don't think of being physically abused as love, right? Right. So let's look at it from the point of view of like teasing. Many families cannot have words of affirmation or kindness, but the way that they show that they care about you is like they, they rip on you. They, they tease you. I personally hate teasing because I'm so, I can't stop seeing it as what it is, which is like passive aggressive aggression because PS, that's what it is. So I think that let's say you're in a situation where someone is teasing you and then they, they deny your reality and they're like, you're so sensitive. You can't take a joke. I always will help my clients walk through saying, Hey, here's the thing. It's not funny, so it's not a joke to me. And I'm just making a simple request that you stop. I don't like it. And if you don't stop, I'll leave. And then you leave. 
Like you have a choice as an adult to find people will treat you the way you let them. And as a grown up, you have a right and the ability to have rock solid boundaries and not put up with stuff that doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. You really do. And listen, we spend X amount of time with our family, right? You had how many days with your family and you had this sort of one incident, right? So we, we take the good with the bad. We understand. You're so curious and this is what you do for a living. You're able to look at it and go, okay, I really want to know. Is this me? Is this them? Is it just the combination? But to your point of sort of normalized toxicity and how do you know if it's that? What I care about with my clients is how they feel. What I care about with you is how you feel. It matters how you feel. And then we dive into why you feel that way. But if something doesn't feel good to you, that's valid. We'll get into figuring out why, but but let's not dismiss it and be like, well, you're too sensitive. Like, if it doesn't feel good to you, I want people to care. Like, my, my biggest advice for folks is that you must, you must think that what you think, how you feel, what you want, it must matter to you more than what anyone else wants, thinks, and feels. That is the baseline of how we build self-empowered lives. Doesn't make you selfish, doesn't make you mean, but what you think, how you feel, and what you want has to matter to you more than anyone else. And listen, what my husband wants, thinks, and feels is right up there for me. It's, it's, it's close, but here's the thing. No one can know that about you, but you. So I don't think that someone else's thought about how you responded to something should be more important than you being like, I'm going to get curious because I had a reaction and how I feel matters to me. I'm going to decode it because I don't want to feel this way. Does that make sense? Yes, so much sense. And that was basically what I did. And I I went through like a bit of a roller coaster because I was like, I feel really good about myself. I've stuck up for the person that I've heard all these years and I've never once said anything. And then I felt badly because I was like, well, I didn't, I felt guilty because I was like, well, I called that person out in front of everyone else. Was that the nice thing to do? Right. So then the guilt came Mm -hmm. and then the, the internal, oh, Lisa, maybe you were too sensitive and maybe you spoke out of turn. Right. And then the doubt of like, oh shit, should I have said that? Should I have not? Um, and then my conclusion was actually, to be honest, I am where I am. I said it. And so now how do I improve? How do I get better and stronger um, and then do better? And so um, I then spoke to the other person afterwards and I basically said, look, I stuck up for you. I don't know if you wanted me to or not. Please let me know next time if actually you would rather me not. And maybe this is a me issue and not a you issue. And their response was, I just want to say thank you so much because it came from some, they actually said, I don't take offense to it, but I want to thank you because it showed me you cared. And so I was like, okay, I don't want to lean into it because then it's like, I'm going to stick up for everyone because I care, right? And now you're just stepping on other people's side of the street to your point. Um, but that was how I handled it and just had then having a transparent conversation after yep. with that person about the struggle I was going through yep. on whether I should have spoken up for them or not. But I feel like here's the thing. So much came out of it. So I'm glad there's no mm, regrets mm. because so much growth for you and so much realization and you got to hear from the other person that it made them feel loved. Yeah. So the bottom line is, you know, no, listen, no, no risk, no reward, right? It's like 
you did something. And I got to say, that's stepping up for that person, which was really, in essence, stepping up for yourself, is did something good for you. Mm-hmm. So with psychotherapeutic stuff and healthy stuff and mental health and relational stuff, it's very rare that we're like, like we really want it to be super black and white, like did I do the wrong thing, did I do the right thing. But the nuances are the things of where we learn, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so there was something you said earlier, I didn't want to interrupt you. But you even say, like, sometimes it's hard to, you know, know, decipher, is it you, is it, you know, toxic normality? Am I being gaslit? Is that why I'm being crazy? Or am I not crazy at all? So you talk about the three stages of gaslighting that we can maybe use as a flag to recognize whether we've been gaslit or not. Yes, yes. Well, in the beginning, especially if it's it's a new relationship or whatever, you're kind of shocked when someone is basically lying to you, you know, or, or saying you agreed to this thing that you know you didn't. So disbelief is, is the beginning where you're like, I can't, is this happening? Is it not? But it's, if you're an empath, a lot of times we, we take it onto ourselves, right? But in the very beginning, you're going to want to fight. You're going to want to be like, no way that didn't happen. So the, the second stage is being defensive is what really like, oh, we just want them to understand so bad. We want to be like, we were sitting in the parked car. We were right in front of Trader Joe's. We were, you know, you're, you're, (laughs) or defending yourself. Like in saying, I did not do that. And then there comes a point, especially when you're with a master manipulator, where it's like you just give in. It's like you just give up. And that third stage can be depression, where it's almost like we collapse in on ourselves. Because there's only so long that you can be shocked by someone's behavior, try to defend your own position. There's a point where you've expended so much energy in doing that, that it's almost like in the in the phase of depression, it's almost like they just kind of win. Because you're sort of like, Okay. Maybe I did. Maybe I did say it. And that that is a scary place to get to. Yeah, God. Are there any certain things or questions you can ask in each of those stages to start assess? So if you're in disbelief, to your point, it would be like, what do you mean? Right? I assume that mm-hmm. it isn't a great strategy. So are there certain questions or statements you can say to see if you're being gaslit or not? Again, it speaks to a pattern of behavior. Mm. So I don't know, there's no magic words to come up with like magic questions that will reveal it. It's over time. And so, and a lot of these manipulators are really, really good. So again, don't let people isolate you from those that you love. Make sure that if you have best friends who you trust, keep them in your life. Talk to them about what's going on. Like, a lot of times this type of manipulation happens slowly over time. So it's very insidious. It isn't just like someone being like, the sky is green, you know? So it's not so obvious where you can be like, no, it isn't what you're talking about. It's little by little by little. They'll take a kernel of truth and then spin it into something that is untrue. And then they can always go back to that kernel we were talking about the vacation and then you said you would pay for it or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you remember you were talking about the vacation, but you didn't agree that their friends could come or you didn't agree to whatever the thing is. So even in that, if someone is gaslighting you in that sense, you're like, oh, what do you mean? Yes, you said you were going to come. So then they maybe use the guilt treatment. So it's kind of like tactic on tactic on tactic. Oh, yeah. um, and then 
your um, your response to, well, maybe I did say it, right? And so now you start to doubt yourself. You start to question. You even said that before. Um, how do you, in those moments, take potential inventory of it happening and as it starts to re- potentially repeat, because I assume that a one-time offender is probably going to be a two-time offender. Yeah. If it's really gaslighting, yes. How do you, I guess, get out of it? Well, you have to go back to holding yourself in high esteem and deciding that you don't deserve this shit from anybody. And I think that it, it's over time you have to really be honest with yourself about how often do you, quote unquote, get the story wrong? How often are you on the receiving end of being criticized by this person in your life? How often are you giving in? How often are you self-abandoning in this relationship? Because if someone is regularly gaslighting you, this is an unhealthy relationship. This is a toxic relationship. There is not enough joy for you to stay. And so slowly but surely, think about making a very secret plan to leave. Mm. Like that's really what we're talking about. You know, when we talk about the extremes, because gaslighting is an extreme. Everyone in life will do small things. We will have selective memory. We will remember things wrong and be like, no, you said you would do it. But if it is not a pattern, a regular pattern of behavior, it's not a conscious manipulation tactic. Mm. Right, We all are going to make mistakes or we all are going to do those things once in a while. So again, it's really identifying the pattern of behavior because that is your evidence. Write it down. Write it down. Talk to a friend and be honest with yourself. I know it's scary to leave a relationship, but be honest with yourself about how long has it been since you've been happy in this relationship? How long has it been since you felt seen? Do you feel loved or do you feel controlled and owned? Because they're not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And you deserve to feel loved for who you are. How how much are you walking on eggshells? If your answer is all the time, that's an unhealthy relationship. But actually truly loved, because I've heard you say a quote, which I find fascinating, is giving is love, overgiving is dysfunctional. Yes. (laughs) And using the love and the giving as a manipulation tool... Um, I've, you know, heard you say where you're like, people will often say, but I did it for you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, uh, I didn't ask for it. So now the guilt treatment comes back in. Yeah. Um, that one was, I was like, oh my God, yes, that's true. How that gets used very often. It's really, it's really actually important because I think that people get surprised mm-hmm. when they hear giving is loving, overgiving is dysfunctional. Where they're like, what do you mean? I'm giving more because I love them so much. I'm like, no, because there is a string attached. There is an expectation. It is a means of controlling the other person. A lot of times when we overgive, we want to make it be that there's no way they can leave us. Mm -hmm. There's no way they can say no to things. We're, we're, um, securing our place by overgiving. But when we think about high functioning codependency, which is exactly what it sounds like. This is a uh, covert or overt bid to control the other person's outcome, what's happening in their life, how they feel. We don't want them to feel bad. So we're coming up with all the solutions to their problems. 
that's a form of overgiving or auto advice giving. Mm. So I think it's important that we have to, we question our own motives in a loving way. We become self-reflective of like, huh, am I doing more than I should in this relationship? Am I doing more? Am I doing things for others that they can and should do for themselves? Because it makes me feel needed or wanted or loved. And am I also secretly resentful for the amount that I do? Because that's where it always ends up. And I think vice versa though, right? Wouldn't that be a good manipulation tool for somebody else to use on you where it's like, oh, but they shower with me with all these gifts and they love, I mean, they take care of me, right? Mm -hmm. And basically it's a manipulation tool potentially for them to hold on to you. Yes. Oh yeah. I mean, there was another, one of the manipulation things, there's another thing is bribery that was on that list where, and that's kind of what we're talking about, whether it's bribery that I'm threatening to take something away from you or whether it's over gift giving and being like, if you do this thing with me, then then we'll take that vacation to wherever or I'll, I feel like people giving push gifts after someone has a kid. I never even got that. I don't even understand. Anyway, mm. I inherited my children. I don't know, but maybe I'd want one too. But I was like, wait a minute, someone has a child and someone that to me feels a little bribey. Like I could be wrong. Maybe it's nice. Maybe somebody wants a nice piece of jewelry, but I'm like, that's a little weird. So that's something to be aware of too, is is all of the lavishing, because that also can fall under, under the category of love bombing. Mm. And <clears throat> as a person who's receiving it in real time, I assume it feels good. So you don't necessarily perceive it as something negative at the time. But really, um, how would someone assess right now, like whether it's a power play or not? Oh, you know it. Listen, especially in families, mm. especially with family with wealth. Mm. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, Grandpa's going to buy you an apartment. In New- exactly. <laughs> Watch that show. That's, that's all you need to see. But, you know, Grandpa's going to buy you a, <clears throat> an apartment in New York City. And then every time Grandpa wants you to do something, you're doing it. Mm. And then every family vacation that Grandpa plans, even though you don't want to do it, you're exhausted, you don't fit, whatever, you're doing it. Like, a, there's a lot of times there are strings attached and that those purse strings mm. are used as manipulation tactics. They're like gifts, but they're not. Mm. And I always say to my clients, I've had many clients from Family Wealth who are like, I can't take it. I'm like, listen, stop taking the money. Stop it. You are smart and successful. If you really want to be self-determined and you know they're using wealth and that money to manipulate you, stop taking it. Mm -hmm. Let's see what happens then. Then you are yourself. But a lot of times people are like, I don't know, man. I'm like, okay. Then it's a conscious choice. Right. So then you are colluding and in agreement that you're going to take that money and that requires some shit of you that you better be willing to do. Mm. That's okay. Like, that's okay. That That's a choice you can make. But make it a choice. Stop complaining. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love that. Is it the same? Would it be the same for flattery? I've heard you say that, whereas, like, people flatter and then ask for something. Yes. Flattery is definitely can be a form of manipulation. I really hate it when I feel like somebody's working me. Like, mm. I know it immediately. It feels so... Not real. How do you know? What are the signs? Because too, it's too much, the flowery language. It's too much. Hmm. It, it's saying too too much. Like, I don't mind if someone just says thank you that really helped me. Great. That That's real. That's genuine. But too much. You're the, you're the this, you're the that. I don't, first of all, I don't need that because I know who I am. If you want to tell me what I did for you, great. That's fine. But there's something about... I can feel when someone is being less than genuine. 
And then, of course, that you will also notice, and uh, you look for patterns. Mm-hmm. The person tells you how amazing you are, and then before you know it, they're hitting you up for a, a, a favor. Yeah. They want something from you. Can you make this introduction to this person? Can you do this thing? No, I can't. But thanks. Unless I want to. <laughs> I love it. Because, again, I always go like, there's two sides to it. So with flattery, if you're insecure, like I was, any flattery just feels so good that I'm like, of course I'll do that for you. Yeah. Because I so seek the flattery for the validation. Um, but then the other side is maybe if you don't think highly of yourself at all and someone's giving you flat flattery, you don't believe them. So now you actually think they have an ulterior motive, but maybe they don't. And maybe they're actually yeah. just being flattering. Totally. So that's where I'm always just like this one little thing can be so detrimental or can be you know uh, positive yeah but depending on how you decipher it because i think again based on what your traumas are your triggers are and where you come from then your reaction to something can be wildly different than someone else's reaction yes but you'll have evidence right you will in time if someone's flattering was a form of manipulation yeah that evidence is going to show up they're going to expect you to do something. They're going to ask you for something. So really, if you're patient, your, your answers will come. And maybe they just think you're an amazing person and they were just telling you the truth about how you changed their life. Mm. And it would be nice to also be able to let that in. And then be mindful. Yeah, <laughs> If they exactly. ask you, if they're going to hit you up for something. Yeah, Terry, homie, where can people find you and just everything you're doing? Go to terrycole.com, which is just T-E-R-R-I-C-O-L-E. I have a book called Boundary Boss, all about boundaries. You can follow me on Instagram. I've got courses coming up. Um, Boundary Boot Camp is coming up where you can do eight weeks live with me, which I only do once a year. So that's coming up, which is very exciting. And all that stuff is on my uh, website.